Well, we've been in a series here at Baseline entitled The Road to the Cross, Encounters with Jesus on His Way to Jerusalem and His Death and His Triumphal Entry into that city and the intimacy of the Last Supper and the Upper Room and the, the darkness of Gethsemane and His betrayal and trial, His crucifixion where on the cross He would declare, as we reminisced and, and rested on Good Friday, it is finished. It is finished. And then this morning, the culmination of the whole journey, of the whole story, when we declare, He has risen. He is risen. And from that moment, 2,000 years ago, grace has gone viral. Grace that is free, that is unwavering, that's complete, that is all-powerful grace that nothing will stop not even these challenging times that we are in. And in these times, today, we need the deep and the wide hope that the crucifixion and the resurrection bring. And so it's a, a humble privilege to share just some reflections from one of the gospel narratives about the resurrection story. And since we've been in the gospel of Matthew, we'll look at God, Matthew 28, which is on your handout, which you can follow along as we'll read this encounter where it says that Jesus is risen. It begins in Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him. And the angel said, now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, and I love this phrase, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly, there on the road, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Then they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid, Go and tell my brothers that I go ahead of them in Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. When we find ourselves in that story, we meet the one who the scriptures bear witness of this morning, the risen Christ. So just three things by way of context, and then we'll look at this phrase, afraid yet filled with joy. First, there's the explanation then the celebration, and then finally the proclamation. The explanation happens when they arrive at the tomb. Now, notice that the women are coming to the tomb not in some sense of expectant faith, but in sorrow, in love, in devotion. Mark tells us that their conversation on the way is one of worry about how they will move the stone. They're, come bringing spite, they're coming bringing spices to anoint the Lord in his death. And the women come to confirm Jesus' death, and instead of finding an act of finality, they experience an act of victory. 
And the angel, and I love this image, is there with the stone rolled away, sitting on top of it, which is kind of an interesting picture of what God thinks of death, to have this angel sitting on top of the stone. And I'm, we're reminded that the stone was not moved so that Jesus could come out, but so as the angel beckons them to do, they could come and see where he lay. That's the explanation. He says, you were looking for Jesus who was, past tense, crucified. He is, present tense, not here. He has, past tense, risen just as he said, past tense, he would. Then they're given an assignment from come and see to go and tell. He says, go and tell the disciples. And so it says they hurried, and here's this phrase, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And it says it was sunrise, it was daybreak, it was dawn. I don't know about you, but sunrise brings a special meaning. One writer says that the, that the light of, of sunrise is the purest gold. Maybe you have special memories that are unique about a special sunrise in your life. There's one that has come to the forefront for me this week that I, I just feel compelled to share. Um, it's the sunrise of January 14th, 2012. It's the day that my mom passed away. <clears throat> and I think about it in light of this phrase, afraid yet filled with joy. Mom and dad were married for 68 years and she died at home that January morning. What brought this to the forefront, just to give you some context, some of you might know that last weekend we celebrated my dad's 100th birthday. And of course he was isolated and so we had to do this virtually. And what brought this memory to the forefront was I was there at the wind at dawn. I had set up sort of a Zoom setup with cables going through his window so he could make connection with family and friends throughout the day. And it was a wonderful day, all things considered. And in between the times of Zooming with family and friends, I would read some of the many cards that he got through the window. And we had a wonderful time. And then he went down to take his nap and. I just sat there and I thought about that day in January and what it was like and, and, and what it was like to be there with my brother at about one or two in the morning wrestling um, with the, the unanswerable and often unavoidable questions in that moment with the hospice nurse, with the doctor on the phone, there in the bedroom. And my brother and I went home and about a half hour later I got the call from dad saying mom had passed. And we went back in and I remember it like it was yesterday. What it was like to sit in the dim light of that bedroom with him on the bed, weeping gently and reminiscing. And what a, a blessing it was to be able to have the closure with mom's body resting there in the open, you know, the open room in that dim and frail light. And after about an hour or so, dad rolled over and began to sleep. And I just sat there for a moment. And as I did, the ray of sunlight from the first sunrise that morning just shot through the window. And it just sort of seemed to build to this huge visual crescendo in the room. And I thought, you know, it's January, but that's Easter. That's the message of the resurrection. That while we, in the frail light of this world, grieve and say our goodbyes, because of the way that Jesus has made this ribbon of light this road into eternity, while we say our goodbyes in eternity, they say hello. They say welcome with open arms. And we fall at Jesus' feet, as my mom did that day. 
a sunrise is the purest gold. But that afraid yet filled with joy really resonated. Yes, we grieved, but yes, there was this inexpressible and glorious joy as we were reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. Nothing will stop the grace and power of God. That's what sunrise is all about. So this phrase, afraid yet filled of joy, it, it seems like a common experience for all of us today. I don't know about you, but for me, these are incredibly surreal challenging times and those words feel really they falter to really communicate how at least I've been feeling everything feels amplified emotionally it's like um, I've had to break down and get some higher uh, level reading glasses to be able to see things and and so as I've graduated to this level of magnification I I can see things that are more beautiful more clearly. I can say the texture of flowers or grass or the light of the sunrise or more vividly when I read. But I can also see things that aren't so beautiful, that the smudges on the kitchen table that I forgot to clean or the lines in my face when I look in the mirror and it's almost like this time has created an amplification of everything that we're feeling. We may experience things and see graces and, and experience gratitude that we haven't seen before because we've been going so fast. There's also a depth of sorrow and fear that we face. And so we acknowledge that this morning. And the Bible has an interesting tension when it talks about fear. There's anywhere between 100 and 300 sort of references to fear. And we're told, do not be afraid, on one hand, as the angel and Jesus both say in our passage. On the other hand, there's countless references to the fear of the Lord, a fear of awe and reverence. So there's good fear and there's bad fear. There's fear that terrifies and there's fear that clarifies. In fact, in Mark's account of this resurrection story, he describes the women as being seized with amazement. Good fear puts bad fear in its place. Good fear clarifies, it clarifies my condition, it clarifies our helpless bankrupt state and it clarifies who God is and who we are. What's that line from Amazing Grace, the great hymn of the faith, where it says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and then grace my fear relieved." Jesus gave us guidance on this in Luke 11. He said this, he said, "'Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body, then can do nothing after that, but fear God who has the power over life and death. And I might add the power that is expressed in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In other words, fear God and you need not fear him and you need in fact not fear anything else and neither do I, even the circumstances that we face. That's why Jesus would say in Revelation 1.18, words that should rest with us today as we rest in his presence. He says, do not be afraid, why? because I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now behold, I am alive forever and ever. That's what he says to us today. And that's what he said in his present risen form to these women in our story. And so it says, they hurried to meet the disciples, seized with amazement, afraid yet filled with joy. He gave them an assignment. 
the angel did, and they, he took to go to the disciples and tell them. And on the way, of course, they meet Jesus. And this is the first of several encounters. The Gospels, when you kind of string them together, are like different newspaper versions of the same account. And in this one, we meet, you know, the women meet him. But in other accounts, we know that he met Peter and Thomas and, according to Paul, up to 500 others after he was risen. But what I love about this is that the gospel is personal. He meets them on the road, and it's just sort of interesting. He just says, greetings. It sort of feels almost unusual, simple. It's like, good morning. Not some grandiose, you know, thunder from the woods or whatever along the road. But he just says, greetings. And then note how he describes. He says, go and tell, not the disciples, but go and tell my brothers. And I might add, my brothers and sisters. It's an expression of the intimate relationship that he desires to have with us. And we know from the other accounts that he, he meets Mary even more personally. And Mary, who was a person who experienced great darkness in her life, goes from darkness to light. And Thomas, the, the skeptical doubter, goes from skeptic and doubter to extravagant believer. Or Peter, who we experienced Good Friday as we saw his denial of Jesus, goes from denial and despair to being redemptively restored, redemptively restored by the Lord and becomes a vessel for boldness in proclamation of the good news. And we read from him this morning as we opened worship. There's Thomas, there's Peter, there's Mary, and then there's you, and there's I, there's me. And that's probably the most important point is meeting Jesus and not just meeting him, but getting to know him. And so I, I ask, I put this out there, have you met him? And more importantly, do you know him? Do you need to meet him anew like me? Are you wrestling with the, the, the distant sort of scattered, fearful nature of everything? You just desire to come before him and meet him again and set everything else aside. So afraid, yes. But when we meet Jesus, we go from being afraid to being seized with amazement, with wonder and awe that we can come into his presence. And then filled with joy. And I love this definition of joy. From Ben Patterson, he says, Joy is what you experience when you are grateful for the grace that has been given you. <coughs> I'll say that again. Joy is what you experience when you're grateful for the grace that has been given you. Grace is what you experience when you realize, as Tim Keller puts it, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The Easter song, as one writer puts it, to paraphrase him, it's like two antiphonal choirs that sing the Easter message. The first choir sings of our bankrupt state, of our sin, of our fear, of the trials and sufferings that we face. And when we call out to God, when that choir sings, the second choir, that speaks of the grace and the sovereignty and the wisdom and the power and the love of God in Christ Jesus will always sing and will always sing more loudly than the first. That's what it means to meet Jesus, to cry out and to hear him respond. Well, it's like the story that I heard. I'm not sure if I heard this from Johnny, our son, who at, at times sort of does ocean swims or if I read this somewhere, but it's the story of a swimmer who got up one morning to go out and do his workout out on the ocean. And so he swam out about 60 or 70 yards off the shore and the, the ocean was like glass. 
which made his workout and his swimming you know, much easier. But he got so absorbed in his workout that he didn't notice when this thick fog rolled in and completely enveloped him while he was swimming. And imagine lifting your eyes 60 or 70 yards offshore, but with no swells to tell you which way the shore was, you tread water and you swim in one direction, but you're lost, you don't know which way to go. And in a panic, he cried out. He cried out for help. And he heard a voice from the shore saying, swim this way. <coughs> and of course he did. And the gospel is as simple and as primitive as that. It is crying out for help. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just tell us which way to swim or which way to walk. The beauty of the gospel is that he reaches down and takes hold of us. I love what it says in Psalm 18. It says, he reached down and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. And then I love this line. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted me in me. And so joy is what you experience when you're grateful for the grace that has been given you in Christ Jesus when we meet him as we do this morning. Because grace has a name, Jesus. And what does it say in Hebrews 12 about this experience of joy? It describes Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. And then this line, which every time I read it, I, it, it impacts me. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy, the joy of what? The joyful he, desire that he has to meet you, to meet me, to be in relationship with us. And so these women were amazed, yet filled with joy as they carried out their mission to go talk with the disciples and share what has happened. So over these last weeks, um, I'm not sure what your experience has been like. Um, when I woke up this morning, the sun is up now, but as I woke up and watched the sunrise this morning, we're recording this, of course, but there were sort of two skies. There was the lower sky. It's rained, as you know, over the last weeks, literally. The lower sky being dark and ominous, but then a higher sky in the distance, whereas the sun would come up, it just illuminated in this bright pink. And that's the message of today. We live in these difficult times, and yet we place our hope and trust fully in the risen Lord. There is a higher sky, and that's what we look forward to. That's where our hope lies. We talked a lot about this a couple weeks ago, or at least I did in the message about gratitude. We talked about um, the fact that, that tears of joy and tears of sadness emanate from the same place, that all tears emanate from essentially the same place. And so I'll, I'll close with this um, as we think about this notion of sadness and joy and everything being amplified. And, and I love what it says in Psalm 126. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy or, or Psalm 30, where it says, you turned my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth, and I love this, and clothed me with songs of joy that my heart may sing and not be silent. It's a beautiful picture of tears of joy and tears of sorrow, and how our Lord meets us there. And so I mentioned my dad earlier on occasion, I've used poems from a book that he wrote that came out of a journaling class that he did many years ago. 
And I referenced this at last Easter sunrise service, but I didn't read it and I'm not going to read it today. I just want to sort of highlight um, uh, one piece of it. The, the, the piece I'm speaking about is called the Tear Garden. And the premise of the work is that, is this, that for every tear that we share here on earth, whether it is a tear of joy or sadness or celebration or a tear of longing, um, whatever it might be, every tear that we shed here is, becomes a seed in heaven that is planted and ultimately becomes a beautiful garden of tears, beautiful flowers that is yours and the Lord's alone. And so each of us, that's the premise of the work, has a secret garden in heaven that have been made possible by the Lord and by the, the seeds that have been sown and grow into this garden. So I want you just to picture that garden, and I, I won't take the time to read the poem, but picture what your garden might look like, your garden of tears that only you and the Lord know about. And the, the piece ends with this, and I just want you to close your eyes and imagine this scene as you look at this vast array of beautiful interwoven flowers all growing together in its stunning beauty and vibrancy. And the, the poem ends like this. There behind the garden, there is a hill of dazzling white lilies. Lilies that are so bright in the sunrise that you have to look away as the sunlight hits them. That hill, that hill was planted on the tears of our Lord shed in the garden of Gethsemane when he faced suffering and dying for our sins, yours and mine. Every tear that the Lord has shed becomes a lily. And if you look closely at that hill, you find the one with your name on it, as do I. One specifically for you. Lilies have, have long been the symbol of, of Easter. If you look it up, they're described as the apostle of hope. They sort of look like a trumpet proclaiming hope. And that's what we celebrate this morning. Are there things to be afraid of? Yes. But when we encounter Jesus as these women did, as we encounter him today, we move from fear to amazement. And as we experience his love and grace, we can be amazed, just as Charles Wesley put it in his hymn, and can it be, amazing love, how can it be that thou my God has died for me? So let me pray for us and then we'll worship together. Lord Jesus, risen Son of God, you meet us where we are this morning. You welcome us. You call us by name. You draw us to yourself to experience the power of your presence in ways far beyond anything we could ask for or imagine. Lord, you turn our weeping into dancing. You turn our, our fears into faith. Darkness into light. And when we don't fully understand your ways, Lord, give us the comfort and knowledge of your presence, the presence, the confidence and power of your Holy Spirit to guide us. It's in the name of the risen Lord Jesus, O oh Lord, that we pray. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs> 